because of the social element of sex. It's not something that we purely experience just in our bodies or in our minds. It's something that we experience with our relationships with everybody that we encounter, with our relationship with media and politics, like all of these things. And so, yeah, it is important to not always focus on just the individual. Welcome to How to Make a Science Video. When talking about science, what's the value of being a generalist? You're listening to Simon Clark and Sophie Ward, and we are both people that make videos about science on YouTube. I have over 10 years of experience in making videos. And I have less and a master's in science communication. So we're about even. So yeah, we both make science videos and we're both curious about how to best share science with the world. This week, we're asking, when talking about science, what is the value of being a generalist? And to find out how she does it, this week we're talking to... My name is Hannah. I am a sex educator and an internet content creator. And my videos get posted on a youtube.com forward slash Hannah Witten, where all the cool kids are. <laughs> First person we're going to full, the full forward slash, guys. Yeah, forward slash. Yep. YouTube changed it recently. Well, I have the forward slash Hannah Witten and then I also got that at Hannah Witten as well. Mm. I was tempted when they first launched that just to get at Hannah, but then that would be confusing because that's not the branding. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah, people would yeah. be searching the full name. Like if I could have had two, if I could have got both, I would, but never mind. Yeah. Was at Hannah available? Yeah, because it was like mega early. It was they just launched it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like we were talking Tending. to the Hannah. <laughs> the only Hannah. I would say the most famous Hannah on YouTube, but that's not true because there's Hannah Hart. You're the most famous on YouTube to me. Yeah, Aww. I think you're the most famous Hannah. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> You've already said you're a sex educator. How would you describe the types of videos that you make? Because you do make a variety of different kinds of videos. Yeah. So very much in the like educational entertainment, the edutainment realm mm. with a lot of like I'm going to share my personal experience to start a conversation and to kind of like be the starting point for learning about something kind of vibes so I'm definitely not a scientist and there's definitely a lot of like crossover in what I do even in the like sex ed realm that is kind of more like entertainment lifestyle -y part of YouTube. Mm -hmm. So you say you're not a scientist, but do you think of yourself as a science communicator at all? A little bit, yeah. Because I even have like a segment in some of my videos where I will put yeah. on a lab coat. <laughs> like a true scientist, yeah. <laughs> and she's called Science Hannah. She's called Science Hannah. And I normally use like a dildo or something as my like pointing stick and I draw <laughs> diagrams on a whiteboard. So, I mean, yeah, sure. She's she's a science communicator, Science Hannah. I mean, I literally have a whole character, if I could say. She doesn't come out that often. I've not used her recently, but there was a time period where a lot of my videos that had a bit more like okay, we need to explain this like mm -hmm. way that human sexuality functions and we need to do a diagram. Like she came out a lot in like mm. those kinds of videos. So just to dip in here, obviously you don't need to wear a lab coat to be a scientist. And sometimes in science communication, this can be seen as a bit of an unhelpful stereotype. However, I think 
in situations like this, it can be quite useful to help people who don't feel particularly engaged with science see that this is a segue into something sciencey as a kind of signpost, basically. Yeah, it's, it's if you're dealing with a low science capital audience, it's like shorthand for we are in a, a scientific discussion now. Yeah, exactly that. And actually, in the kind of things that Hannah's talking about and it being science of sex and stuff like that, it's not a bad thing to have that lab coat representing it because those are things that are sometimes seen as less academic. The lab coat is maybe a representation of the academic, so it's quite nice tying the two together. I think the value of a lab coat in that situation is it's a visual cue that now we're talking about science and it's useful from a video production perspective to make it visually different and make people switch on that this is a shift to science. And if that encourages people to engage in what you're talking about, then it's a positive effect. I agree. You're making it sound like it's like science Barbie. Like, you know, the, <laughs> yeah, the one in the Barbie lab coat. has a dildo pointer. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I feel like you need to give yourself more credit though there, Hannah, because, <laughs> I mean, I've seen in your videos, it's not just when science Hannah's out that the science is out. Mm. Like in your video on squirting, there's like, you have a model and everything and there's no lab coat inside. And I feel like you talk about studies a lot. That's true. So maybe are you becoming more comfortable talking about science without whacking out science, Hannah? What's the situation? I'm going to be honest about the situation, time. Since having my kid, I just have a whole lot less time to reset up the camera in a different place with a whiteboard in the lab coat. And so I just do everything as me. And I'm just like, I think the videos like maybe, I don't think they suffer for it, but I think there's that loss of that extra like element that I maybe had more time to incorporate into videos pre-baby that's the truth of it mm. <laughs> i think science had would come out a lot more if i didn't have another job <laughs> kids they get in the way yeah we're just seeing science hannah at home science hannah yeah. what's she like without the lab coat exactly she's just a normal person <laughs> she's a mum. <laughs> yeah maybe she's a mum. maybe she's not maybe she's yeah. president like just maybe. normal <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah so what's the super brief version of how you ended up in this position i don't mean with the kids i know how that happened <laughs> i mean do you want the science of that <laughs> I mean, that is Hannah's job. Come walk us through it. How you ended up doing science communication and doing sex ed videos on YouTube? Great question. So when I was 19 years old, I was watching a lot of YouTube and I was learning a lot about sex from YouTube and getting very angry that I hadn't been taught a lot of this information in school. And I saw that nobody else was making those kinds of videos in the UK because I was very much watching them from American creators. And 19-year-old me, who was very interested in sexuality, very curious about it, very comfortable talking about it as well, had the absolute audacity as a non-expert <laughs> to start making videos about sex. I mean, So I had already been making YouTube videos at that point. It was 2011. I was like vlogging. I wanted to be part of what was happening the scene. the scene yeah I wanted to be part of the vlogging scene I wanted to make friends on YouTube so I already was doing that I had built up a small audience that I could see from my demographics were mostly young women and then I had this really passionate interest in sex ed and so I was like you know with great power of my like maybe 300 subscribers comes great responsibility <laughs> and that was where I felt best placed to use my platform 
in a way that I thought would have a positive impact on people. And so, yeah, that's kind of how that started. And it's so funny because I look back on myself then and the lack of imposter syndrome is incredible and like (laughs) almost inspiring. I also think because YouTube was very like early days, not like it wasn't the beast that it is now. Mm. There's just so much less fear. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And so I just went for it. What's the... um, Dunning-Kruger. Yeah, the yeah, Dunning-Kruger yeah, effect. Yeah, the Dunning-Kruger, exactly. For listeners at home, Hanning just made a motion with her hands. I made a motion with my hands and you immediately knew what I was trying <laughs> to say. I was doing a motion of like what the graph looks like. So, oh, Soph, do you know it or do you, are you going to do your explaining? Yeah, well, it's just big old Dunning-Kruger, which is that when you know nothing about something, then you like, are like yeah, I know nothing. And then as soon as you know a little bit, you're like, wow, I know loads. I know like everything there is to know. And then... Once you get past that and you know a bit more than a little bit, you're like, wow, I know nothing again. Yeah. So Hannah was at that peak of, I've learned a little bit and I'm now an expert. Everybody flock to me. I will tell you about sex ed. Yeah, the confidence. There's a whole generation. There's a whole generation of science communicators on YouTube who were exactly that, I think. There were people who were at uni... or maybe just before going to uni at the time when YouTube was exploding Mm. and were like, oh, I'm learning about these really cool things. I should tell the world about this. Ah. And you don't have all of that contextual knowledge that if you've been lucky, like we both, both Hannah and I have been lucky enough to do this for a really long time. Like we're now on the other side, I think, of that mountain. Yeah, Yeah, where I'm like, oh my God, there's so much that I don't know. Who am I? Why am I still here? Yeah. Like I'm a fraud. (laughs) Do you have more imposter syndrome now then than you had when you started out? 100%. Yeah. Is that because you like chat to experts more because you're always getting experts on your podcast yeah. and your videos as yeah. well? So it's like talking to them makes you see yourself in their shadow kind of. Yeah. And I think the other thing is, is that I'm comparing myself to specialists. Mm. So a lot of the experts that I get on my channel or on my podcast very much have specialised. They've got a PhD. They are a psychotherapist. They're a medical doctor. They've got their specialty and they've got their thing, whereas I'm very much a generalist. Mm. And so sometimes I just have to kind of embrace that, like, I can know a lot about a lot without having, like, the true expertise in every single Mm. area. But if anything, I think that's kind of what makes a good science communicator. And please tell me if I'm wrong, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I hope you're right, because that's what I think. This be what make a good science communicator. Yeah, no, I feel like it's so valuable as well, because yeah. that's the kind of route I've tried to do as well. I think it's really useful to keep in touch with like a lot of different things. And I imagine you are trying to be, I mean, we'll talk a bit more about audience later on, but you're trying to be more of a reflection of your audience. Like, yeah. oh, you could research all this and find this as well. Yeah. Like, I've just done it for you kind mm. of thing. I've also very much seen myself as like bridging this gap, because I know that a lot of people who I talk to who are say like, psychosexual therapists right they know so much about the inner workings of like human sexuality relationships like all of this kind of stuff how it relates to mental health sexual function like all of these things there's a lot and it can get really technical and you don't necessarily as one person living your life need to know everything and often they tell me that they get like clients coming to them for sex therapy who are saying like, this thing is wrong with me, I'm broken, da 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 da. And a lot of the work that they do is actually education (laughs) of Mm. just being like, okay, this is how human sexuality works. You're not actually broken. And for some people that's like, they're like, okay, great, cool, don't need therapy. And then they they bounce. (laughs) Obviously for some people, like there's a lot more of a longer process there depending on many, many factors. And so I like to try and be the person who can like 
get the information from the sex therapists, from the other experts, and then like disperse that in a way so then less people need sex therapy. You're reducing their workload, basically. Yeah, Yeah. I very much see what I'm doing as like prevention. (laughs) You've got like treating the symptoms versus treating the cause. Yeah. Yeah, Um, yeah. And so I'm trying to treat the cause because I don't have the expertise to treat the symptoms. (laughs) And to just briefly go back to when you were starting out and, you know, you said that you watched, you know, communicators on YouTube. Were there Uh specific science communicators or sex ed communicators who you took inspiration from, like specific people? Yeah. So Lacey Green was the big Mm. one at the time. I don't know what her background was. I can't remember. She was very, like, science communicating. And then Lindsay Doe. I can't remember when Sexplanations started, but I was already making videos at that point. And she's a clinical sexologist. So a lot of her stuff is very, is a lot more scientific and clinical than what I make. And so, yeah, it's, it's amazing seeing, like, all the different kind of, like, approaches and stuff to it because I definitely take a more kind of, like, personal, cultural, relational approach because sex is such a huge topic that impacts so many different parts of our lives. Like, the classic thing that gets thrown around about sexuality is that it's biopsychosocial. Mm. And I tend to not really know as much about the bio side of it. Obviously, like, the whole point is that they're all interacting with each other at the same time. But I would say I know more about the social side of things than the the bio and the psycho. But you've got to know a little bit about everything. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and I feel like as well it feels safer to sort of segue from the social to the psycho but then into the bio is you feel like you're going more into like sort of medical medical yeah which can Mm -hmm. maybe be a bit intimidating do you feel then nervous in addressing like bio stuff do you get anxious about sort of going into those kind of things in your video because even though you backed yourself from a like a lay person perspective earlier does it feel different with science it really depends on what it is and who else is working on the video with me and also what the angle is so I definitely have done a lot of stuff that has been focused on bodies and sexual function those tend to be like the personal experience ones Mm. so I'm like tracking like what is happening to my body which is something Mm. that I did throughout like um the process of trying to conceive and pregnancy and birth and like so I made these videos that people have said are really great resources but it is still just about my experience Mm. there's definitely like a really good amount of knowledge that I do have about sex and biology and and stuff like that it's when you start getting into the questions of like my vagina is doing this my penis is doing this what does that mean and then I have to be like I I'm not a medical professional like please go to your doctor the thing that I can help people with is like helping them understand what their normal is and also understanding what the line between a normal bodily experience in terms of like the variety that there is in terms Mm. of normal versus, okay, where is this line, if there is a line, of like, okay, maybe you need to go and see a professional to like get that checked out. That's a really important part of the work that I do is communicating the scope of what I'm able to help people with and not. Yeah. So would it be fair to say that default Hannah, default Hannah. that is in your video, Stereotypical Hannah. Stereotypical Hannah. <laughs> no lab coat. Is she like a curious student then? Like you're investigating stuff that's happening. She rather is investigating stuff that's happening to herself mm-hmm. and then is sharing what she's learned with the audience or is it more For sure. subtle than that? Okay. Yeah, yeah. And you can kind of see that with the kind of type of content that I've been making 
even the videos that look like they're very much like, this is like sex education or we're talking about relationships here. It's evolved with how my life has evolved. So from starting out and being single and living that single life and dating and casual sex, there was definitely a lot more content about those kinds of dynamics. Whereas now, and it's also as my audience have grown up with me as well, Mm. there's now a lot more content that's kind of about like long-term relationship dynamics and how does sex play out after you have a baby or gender roles when it comes to like domestic partnerships Mm. so you can kind of see that (laughs) trajectory as well but that's also because it's just like it's my channel and it's what I'm interested in yeah (laughs) Yeah, because I I feel I empathize with you hugely with this because like we've both been doing this for over 10 years like Mm -hmm. making videos and the the content that we make has evolved with us and we have become so enmeshed with our online sort of personas almost Mm -hmm. the 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 idea of the products that we make are reflections of us and as we change those products are going to change but like in a cumulative sense if you know what i mean i feel like i'm kind of supposed to be all the things that i am now but also the things i was five or ten years ago yeah because i i do get requests of like covering certain topics and i'm like I'm bored of that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because you think, oh, I've already made a video on this, but people don't know that there's one video eight years ago in your back catalogue. Yeah, yeah. I've been trying to, I mean, not doing very well, but I have a plan to go through the back catalogue of those like videos that are like, oh, we did one on this topic and da 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 and turning them into new like short form stuff. Yeah. Ah. Good shout. We'll see. <laughs> It's a big, that's a lot of work. It's on the to-do list. Yeah, It's like taxes, it stays on the to-do list for a long time and you just got to get around to it. (laughs) At least you have a deadline with taxes. That is true, my short form conversion. The deadline was yesterday. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 because you should have done it like from the beginning, like from the dawn of TikTok, you should have already done that. Do you do much TikTok? Do you do many shorts? Is it too much... It's too much, but I I have been trying a bit more recently. So I'll make a piece of short form content and I'll put it on YouTube, Instagram and TikTok, Mm. which is one way of doing it. Another way of doing it is to like be really platform specific and make stuff that lives and breathes on the platform because it's part of that platform's culture and ecosystem. I do not have time to learn every single platform's mannerisms yeah Yeah. Yeah, exactly especially now especially now (laughs) yeah you are a child for goodness sake yeah yeah Yeah. okay so let's move on to i suppose the big question Mm. which is you're going to make a new video there's a gap in the hannah witten schedule for next week Next week? Oh my God, I would be panicking. <laughs> okay, okay, a month. I'll, I'll I be... would be hyper... Yeah, a month. That's a month, we'll like give it. you a month. Thank you. What, what is the first step to filling that gap in the schedule? So the first step would be sitting down with my producer and going through our epic video ideas list and seeing what sparks joy because mm. that list is full of crap. Okay. <laughs> but you, we, I feel like... It, we all have these lists and we never clear the crap. We're like, one day though, that idea might might spark joy. Yeah, I've like fully systemized our ideas thing. So it used to be just like a big old list, but now the list has like tags on it. So 
you can see like what's more of a priority or like what stage each idea is at or we have a whole category that's called quick and dirty so Mm. those are videos that I don't have to like prep for that much and I can just like turn on the camera and like go and then we've got other ones that's like okay we might need to get like a guest or an expert in to do this one this one's going to be more of a like out and about one so we need to plan like locations and things like that so first of all we take stock of like all of that and then the next step really depends on which video (laughs) what the videos are well before we move on to the next step so you've already said your producer i mean can you explain what their role is beyond helping you pick the topics and how many people actually work on a video in total oh my god so many so over the years i've built up my team it started out just a video editor And then I brought on an assistant who helps with a lot of like just doing like YouTube uploads and metadata, podcast transcripts, social media, the newsletter, that kind of thing. And then when I got pregnant, I was like, I needed to hire somebody to like offload a lot of my responsibilities to, to kind of keep everything ticking along over maternity leave. And then knowing that was going to be coming back to work part time because I gave myself three months off and then didn't want to then go straight from that to working full time. So it's kind of like built up over the year. Yeah. So then my producer basically like helps with all of the pre-production, like planning videos. She helps on shoots. She does the like main bulk of video feedback with the editor. So then when I go in and do it, it takes me like half the time just to kind of like do a little once over basically does the whole podcast stuff as well like arranging guests coming up with like questions and stuff so a huge amount and yeah and so I hired her whilst I was pregnant and then another person that we work with on a more like ad hoc basis is a video researcher writer so that just like depends on the video but we've been working with someone pretty regularly on the like sit down sex ed explainer like I'm gonna explain this topic to you Mm. kind of videos so it's a lot of people yeah. who touch a video before it goes live. And then also depending on the video, if it is a more like out and about one where we might need like more than one camera set up and for it to have a bit more of a slick look, then I'll have a videographer as well. Wow. So it's a bit of an operation. Yeah. yeah. Has that really changed your relationship to your channel, like how you view it? Like in the initial stages, it's always like a labour of love and it feels like so personal, it's like bearing your soul. And now it must feel more like a bit, I don't know, when you know, when no, you first yeah, make yeah, videos. Yeah. And now it's like this production. Has that been a difficult transition or what, what are your thoughts on that? I think because it's happened so gradually, like as and when I've needed help, I've brought people on. So it wasn't like a sudden shift. Like, so the first thing that I outsourced was editing. Mm, yeah. Classic. And that was years ago. So like, I think maybe 2017. So I'm so rusty. Like I couldn't edit like a YouTube video anymore. <laughs> like I probably could, but it just wouldn't be as good. It just yeah. would, I wouldn't be able to like do all the things. My editors are going on holiday for a couple of weeks next month. Mm. And I know I'm going to have to edit a video in that time. And I can already see the comments being like, wow, like, you know, Luke dropped the ball with this one. Oh, like, God. Why is this so much worse than normal? <laughs> like, so the person who does video edits for me happens to be my sister-in-law. But it's basically through another friend of mine who runs like this video editing agency. Mm. And I had another video editor through her for years before she moved on to doing other stuff. And now 
my sister-in-law does my edits. But the great thing about working with her and like with an agency kind of structure means that if your video editor goes on holiday, she's got another one who can. Oh, yeah. there you go, Simon. Yeah. Hot tip. Who can jump in and do the backup edits. Captain's log. We appear to be in a star-forming region of space, a nebula. But instead of large, bloated, loud balls of gas, the stars being formed here are very different. They're stars of online educational video, making long-form content about science, geopolitics, and video games, among other subjects. That's right, Captain Picard. Nebula is a streaming service owned by a collection of creators, including Sophie and I, that hosts innovative, educational, and inspirational content from some of your favourite video and podcast makers. You can listen to all episodes of How to Make a Science video ad-free on Nebula, but you can also watch exclusive content from other creators such as Our Changing Climate, Lindsay Ellis, Wendover Productions, and many more. Exclusive content includes individual videos from your favourite creators, but also entire series such as Jetlag and Red Atoms. Get access to Nebula by signing up at go.nebula.tv slash htmasv. That's our special How to Make a Science Video link. And by using it, you can get 40% off a membership plan and support the show. Again, that link is go.nebula.tv slash htmasv. Computer, put Nebula on the main view screen. Engage. So does the fact that you become like an exec producer, I suppose, you're not even the producer because you have a producer working with you. Yeah. Like, does that change how you talk about technical topics? Has it actually changed the science communication part of your videos, do you think? Do you know what? I think it makes them better because I don't mm. think the research is my strong suit. Mm-hmm. I hate research. <laughs> She's just putting it out there, guys. She's. Yeah. I love it when other people do it and then science communicate it to me yeah (laughs) (laughs) I love that love that yeah my researcher and video writer does a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of that stuff but to be honest a lot of it is like the the videos that we work on with him tend to be like okay I want to do a video about this topic I know about this topic I've read about it I know I just do not have the time or the brain power currently to like take all of my thoughts or reread that book or reread that chapter. Mm. And so I'm like, can you just do that? Yeah. Because everything that he puts in the scripts is stuff that I know. It's just I need somebody else to like <laughs> put it all together. Yeah. Put it all together for me. And yeah, that's a really useful thing for me to be able to mm. outsource. Another friend of mine who is a, like a sex researcher they helped me out this is a this is a really fun video this this gives like a I guess a sense of like where I understand that like my my limitations in terms of research are so I remember years ago reading this book called bonk mm-hmm. and it's all about like different like sexy science experiments and like oh that sounds various great. different things it's really cool and i remember there being this chapter in it that was all about the distance between your clitoris and the vaginal opening and what that distance was and how it correlated with whether or not you'd be able to penetrate uh, to penetrate <laughs> to <laughs> orgasm from penetrative sex right okay and this was a theory this was like a thing that marie bonaparte came up with okay. right this is not what she's known for <laughs> uh, no <laughs> <laughs> 
In case you don't know, Marie Bonaparte was a French author and psychoanalyst and the great-grandniece of the Napoleon Bonaparte. And sometimes she measured vaginas. But she loved her little orgasm science. And I remember reading about this. And then years later, I was like, oh my God, wouldn't it be funny if I made a video where I measured my own vulva and then compared those results to the research and the experiments that were done hundreds of years ago and, you know, in this research. This is pure science communication. I don't know why you had any doubt about calling yourself a science communicator. (laughs) So I had this idea and I was like, okay, I can do this. And then I did reread that chapter. This is before I had a kid, so I had the time. So I reread that chapter and I took all of my notes. But then in that chapter, the author cites some studies. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to know more. I was like, this isn't enough. I need more of the info. Because I'm not in academia, I don't have access to the bloody articles. Yeah. And also I'm terrible at interpreting them. I'm like, I need someone who is trained in that to actually like do the interpretation of the scientific (laughs) journals and so I paid my friend I was like can you do this for me like I just need you to read these two research papers and just give me the bullet points yeah and then from that I then wrote the rest of the script so yeah so it it really varies like in the different ways that I'll work with people but it's the specialization of labor right in the same way that like Mm -hmm. you know you can make a better car by having lots of people working on the different components of it than one dude trying to do everything like it's better and it's faster yeah exactly yeah yeah definitely and i was just like i'm just not confident in my ability to get this right so Mm. bring in the expert bring in the experts so then we've talked a lot about your team and like everyone who's in a video and kind of the processes but one of the things we were wondering is at the beginning at the early process of making a video do you have any kind of like objectives? You know, at school when on the board, it's like by the end of this <laughs> the lesson, learning you're objectives. All of, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. The LOs. Do you have any like thing like that? Like by the end of this video, I want the people watching it to have done X or discovered X. Yeah. And more so now than I used to. I think like when we're coming up with video ideas, sometimes you can be like, this is really great. But then I'm like, okay, but what's the point? Mm. And so we have to have this like big chat about like, okay, but what is the point of this? What are people going to get out of this? And that doesn't necessarily mean that like some outcomes are more worthwhile or more worthy than others. It just has to have a point. Yeah. (laughs) And sometimes if I can't grasp what that is, then I'm like, that's not going to make a good video. Mm. Because the thing that you need to entice people with is playing into like what they're going to gain from watching it. So yeah, that is something that I do think about a lot. So you have like at the top of the script, you've got like your learning objectives. And then (laughs) do you have a specific audience in mind? Like how how do you characterise the people in your audience? And is it the same for every video? Yeah, so I would say that like my typical viewer is a mid-20s to mid-30s woman Mm -hmm. right and that's basically me that's me it's me but I don't just make content for that person because I also know that like 50% of my audience are queer and so if I just made content for the straight woman and also even the straight women who watch my content usually very like on board queer allies so one of the big things is that even if like the subject area isn't specifically about like LGBT issues 
it's like making sure that it can still be applied to different people and different relationships and that the language is inclusive, especially when talking about like relationship dynamics. We've done a few videos recently where we've talked about like intersections between experiences of sex and dating and relationships when it comes to people who have ADHD. And then we did one recently with autism. Oh, yeah. 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 And so they have like a few different audiences in mind and learning objectives per audience, right? Mm. So one of the audiences in mind is like people who aren't autistic or have ADHD and people who aren't dating anyone who might be neurodivergent, right? And that's like general audience and it's like purely educational in terms of like, did you know? Like, look, other people have different experiences and the diversity in human sexuality and experiences is really interesting and it's good to be aware of these things. Variety is the spice of life. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And then the other part of the audience is the identity that we are addressing. So people who are autistic, like people with ADHD. And so for them, we want them to feel seen. We want them to feel that what they're experiencing, like normalize their experiences, like bring it Mm. to the forefront of the conversation, maybe offer some advice and support in terms of like how to deal with different things and also offering kind of like a resource for them so that they're not always having to explain themselves to people and giving them a video that they can signpost to friends and family of being like, this is what it's like, (laughs) you know? Because sometimes that's such a huge, that can be a really heavy burden on people who don't fit the dominant normative narrative yeah you know person in society who are just constantly like having to like explain their experiences to people and so yeah being able to normalize that and then the other audience in mind is the friends the family or the romantic sexual partners of those people Mm -hmm. and so like tips and advice for them in terms of navigating those dynamics especially like with this example if you have a relationship between somebody who's neurodivergent and somebody who's neurotypical I mean the tip is always just to communicate but it obviously goes deeper than that especially if your neurodivergence changes the way that you communicate yeah for sure so you're you're aiming for an audience and like the reflection of that audience you know the people that that audience interacts with basically yeah because of the social element of sex yeah it's not purely biological it's It's, yeah it's not something that we purely experience just in our bodies or in our minds it's something that we experience in our relationships not just romantic and sexual but with our relationships with everybody that we encounter with our relationship with media and politics like all of these things and so yeah Mm. it is important to not just like always focus on the just the individual because none of these things when it comes to sexuality happen in a vacuum i think as well something that's worth pointing out in the obviously when you're talking about things that you haven't personally experienced like being autistic or for that example Mm. it can be quite intimidating to talk about it and also you can recognize that well maybe it isn't my place it becomes a bit difficult there but i just want to point out that what you did really well in the autism video is that you said well i've actually had a lot of help on this video from autistic people mm-hmm. so yeah is that something that you really think about a lot with your videos when you cover things like that do you feel quite intimidated what's kind of the situation there for you yeah definitely yeah so with the autism video like my usual video researcher and writer he's autistic so 
he was a really great help. And my assistant is also autistic. So they had a look at the script as well when it was like in the early stages. With the ADHD video, my producer is exploring ADHD diagnosis and my sister-in-law also has ADHD. And my sister, so many people in my family have ADHD. Yeah. So yeah, I didn't want to speak for a community that I didn't belong to. And so that's why behind the scenes, there's a lot of help from people who are in those communities. But even though it is just me in the videos, it's very clear that it's had that input. And the other thing that we do in those videos, actually, is ask for people's submissions on my Instagram stories for people to like just talk about their own experiences. And I just read those out. So you get like a Mm. huge variety of just like people sharing like what their experiences are of dating and relationships when they have autism or ADHD. And that's something that we do for a whole host of different video Mm. topics as well. You know, all of that like um, audience participation and really kind of showing the like the breadth of experiences out there especially when you know Lil or me doesn't represent everybody obviously (laughs) so we can have like yeah more representation and diversity in sharing all of those different stories so you've got a very well-defined idea of you know who you're making a video for and what it's going to be about in terms of your objectives yeah at what point do you come up with the title and the thumbnail for that whole concept too late in the process. It's, I, you know, everyone says that you should come up with that first. Yeah. And like, you don't make a video unless you have a good title and thumbnail concept. No, I, I think about that shit way too late. Yeah, it's the scramble at the end. Oh, it's like, Same here, honestly, yeah. I literally just, just got off a call with my assistant and producer before this podcast recording, where we were looking at like how some of the past videos have performed and at the end of it I was like oh also guys if you could help me with like a title for this video and also I need a thumbnail but like I'm struggling to figure out what these are like help oh man it's the part it's by far my least favorite part of this job I've got to say Mm. yeah not great so really what that means is we should both be outsourcing it yeah honey you need another team member to like a copywriter yeah Mm, yeah there's AI that does it as well probably is there yeah I don't know I mean, that's a question we've asked some people, actually. How do you think AI is going to change the landscape of science communication on YouTube? Because you've just said it, you know, we can use it as a tool for an aspect of it. But like, we are starting to see entirely AI generated content. Yeah, I think I watched an Ali Abdul video where he like showed different AI softwares, like writing whole video scripts for him. But it was actually, it was really nice and refreshing because he was just like, this is really simplistic and this isn't correct. <laughs> like, yeah. And also, yeah. he literally asked the AI to like cite studies and it made up studies. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's really bad. I'm worried that somebody might do that and not dig deeper mm. to be like, let me just double check if this study is real. Yeah. But yeah, if we all just like have our like media... AI literacy hats on when engaging. Pop them on, guys. That's the thing. That that's gonna be the market, right? It's like people making videos about how to spot AI content yeah. and like teaching media literacy. Yeah. And honest, I'm a human. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Look, I'm a human. I can pick out the bicycles and the zebra crossing. Yeah, everyone has to do a capture. <laughs> yeah, that's the start of every video. Before you present. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm that's a human. So that's a traffic cone. <laughs> <laughs> and then actually having a crisis because you're like, is that a traffic cone? Is oh, it my God. Yeah. yeah. 
another thing I wanted to ask you, Hannah, was how do you personally define if a video is successful or not? Is it a view thing? Is it a nice comments thing? Yeah, it probably used to be a view thing and to an extent it is, but I've definitely seen a drop in my views since coming back from maternity leave, which we can interrogate and dissect and I can have a whole identity crisis about another time. <laughs> But at the moment, I think the comments tends to be one of the main ways that I, you know, mark a success or not. Because, like, we did a video recently. Was it recent? Who knows? We did a video. <laughs> Time is a mess. Yeah. Who knows? Where I got three different guys in my studio. Is this a biscuit video? It's a biscuit, yeah. I love this video, yeah. Hello everybody, welcome back to my channel. So today I have some lovely guests with me in the studio. We've got Jamie, Ben and Anand and I have baked for you all some delicious penis biscuits and you're going to be decorating them and I've invited them here to talk about masculinity and the penis. What does it represent? And I'm just going to let you guys take it away. And that video kind of didn't do really well in terms of views, which I was really gutted about. Because Did it not? No. Wow. I think it was such a great video because I was just like, this is so fascinating. And, and I was really, it made me really happy to like be able to facilitate that conversation because I, I wasn't in the video. Like, you know, I built a whole YouTube channel, it being me. And then I'm like, actually, I don't want to be in the videos anymore. Like you mm. take it away. So I think that definitely has an impact on like the views. But the comments, oh my God, the comments were incredible. Hmm. And so actually we've recently filmed another version of that video, this time with some vulva and uterus biscuits. Mm. And I had three older women in the studio talking about menopause and aging and like, yeah, all of that kind of stuff. And oh, I'm very excited for that one to come out. Be like, that was purely chaotic to film it was just get like get some like older women in a room together and be like do you want to decorate some biscuits and like talk about menopause and like you cannot shut them up it was amazing it was so good, uh, was so good. I you know I do not envy my video editor who has to go through that footage well this is coming out in September so that video might be out by then oh. from the sounds of things it won't be yeah. that's gonna yeah, be next year <laughs> wait hold on let me check the schedule that be chat. organised. It's currently scheduled for the 29th of August. So could be perfect. It might be out there that Look people that. can go watch. And so I'm really hoping that that um, you know, I, I don't have high expectations for the views because of managing that from what happened last time, but I'm really hoping that it also just hits the spot with the people yeah, who do in the engage with it. Yeah. Does a video not doing well like the penis video? Because this is the horrible thing about working on YouTube is that the success of a project and that meaning, you know, how many nice comments you get, or how many views you get, mm -hmm. isn't just dependent on the quality of what you make. It's dependent on how YouTube disseminates that in the form of the algorithm. Yeah. But I do think that it's not all just evil algorithm. Like, No, no, no. I don't mean to suggest that. Yeah. I think sometimes it's how you package it. And if I've done a shit yes. title and thumbnail, then I'm, <laughs> YouTube will punish me. Yeah, absolutely. Like <laughs> People notice the thumbnail and then they yeah. read the title and then they choose to click or not. But yeah. like, do you think that you are fighting an uphill struggle with topics like that? Is there... A sort of a profanity filter, well, you know, a profanity in, in quotation marks filter on YouTube for your kind of content. I mean, it earns dog shite money. Yeah. But I mean, there are theories, but unconfirmed about whether or not demonetized content 
get suggested or shared as much on YouTube. Mm. So I don't know. I think more with those kinds of videos, I find them difficult to package. This is maybe where I need like help from like a salesperson copywriter, <laughs> like write me mm. this title. Because when it is like a video where you have a group of people who are talking about a topic, but it meanders through so many different subject matters, it's like, what, what's the title? Because yeah. you're talking yeah. about like, 10 different things yeah so that's where I struggle with the communication god damn it yeah it's true like blokes chat penises is that a title blokes chat penises yeah <laughs> exactly what did I go with in the end now I'm curious I can't even remember okay so I titled it with a quote from the video so it's in quotation marks it's all about the penis and then talking penises and masculinity while decorating penis biscuits it's a long title but sometimes <laughs> those titles like do well where you're like literally explaining what is happening in the video yeah, yeah. who knows there's like postmodern titles <laughs> yeah. where they literally just explain everything that happens yeah. in the video you know yeah. like it's such a such a genre in itself we could probably do a whole separate podcast just on titling youtube oh videos God. yeah honestly we finish these chats by asking our guests the same five quickfire questions, starting with, if I gave you a million pounds, I've been saying dollars to other people, what video would you make? I would make the I'm retiring video. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the smartest answer yet. That is the best answer. That is the best answer yet. Okay, but if you want a serious answer, no, I, well, no? You, okay, that, you're gonna that go with that. Right. If you don't want to, I mean, you can. If you have a serious answer, Hannah. Yeah. we're gonna we're gonna do a table at the end of this. I think if like everybody's response to the same questions, and everyone's gonna, be like, oh yeah, yeah, I like yeah. the idea of that, and yours is gonna be like the well, why did no one else say this? <laughs> yeah. you know? Okay. Exactly. Oh, actually, no, I've thought of what my serious answer would be. Okay, okay. go ahead. It would involve a lot of travel because one of my favorite things to do at the moment in terms of videos is the ones where we like go visit different places and people but we're very restricted in terms of like london and places we could get to in a day and so yeah like the penis museum in iceland or berlin porn film festival or like anything else that's like happening in the world of sexuality in different parts of the world it, i mean then it becomes not just one video it become like a whole travel sex video series there you go it can be that I'd e easily within a million pound budget done excellent okay second question what one change would you make to youtube to improve the site i would say on the sub feed to not integrate shorts and main videos but they've done that they did it oh have they split them up oh now? yeah yeah on my sub feed it's like just normal uploads and then you scroll down a bit and then there's a regular short shelf and I'm like, yes. Okay, so here we go. This is kind of like related to what we were talking about. I want title A-B testing. Oh. No one said that. I want title A-B testing, please. Yeah, everyone's been like, oh, A-B testing's here, great, but titles. Yeah, yes. because they recently announced the thumbnail A-B testing, which is amazing, love. But what I want is I want title and thumbnail A-B testing, right? So imagine a world where you upload three different thumbnails, you also upload three different titles, and then YouTube tests all of the different combinations. Permutations, yeah. yes. And then it gives you a winning combo. Not just winning thumbnail, not just winning title, winning combo. That is an excellent answer. Because yeah. the title and the thumbnail are always in relationship with each other. Yeah, well, they should be. <laughs> they should be. Mm. My one fear with this, and it's with A-B testing for thumbnails as well, is that I think it's going to generate a two-tier system in YouTube. I think there's going to be the creators that understand how to use it 
and it's going to make their stuff so much more clickable. Mm. Like, it's just going to make their click-through rate so much higher. And the people that don't use it or don't understand how A-B testing works are just going to fall down by the wayside. And there's going to be, like, a two-stream... Interesting. Over time, Mm -hmm. I think they're going to diverge, basically. And you're going to get this, like... Well, I hope I'm YouTube is already an attention, you know, like it's an arms race for attention and click-through rates. And that's only going to make it more intense. Interesting. The thing is, if you're already making last-minute thumbnails as someone who does that, it's like, oh, now I have to make three last-minute thumbnails that are all different (laughs) enough. (laughs) Yeah, it is extra work for sure. Okay, but worth it. Mm. Right, next question. What do you think educational video will look like in 10 years' time? Oh, 10 years' time. 10. A decade. That's madness. I've only been doing it for just over a decade. I don't know. I, don't, I honestly <laughs> don't know. Is it all going to be, like, done by AI and robots? Mm. You know how, like, Barbie has a YouTube channel? Is it just going to be yeah. like that? <laughs> Brands and all AI generated. All of the educational stuff maybe yeah and who knows what the like landscape for like long form and short form video will be honestly well if we extrapolate trends like you know short form video actually i was gonna say it gets shorter and shorter but actually short form video went from six seconds yeah vine vine now it's a minute you can upload 10 minutes on tiktok yeah yeah so maybe maybe like short form and long form are going to meet in the middle somewhere so actually, should we be calling it short form versus long form or should we be calling it horizontal versus vertical? Oh, true. Very true. Like mobile first or desktop first video yeah, experiences. that's a good point. That's a good oh. point. Yeah. Next question. Excluding the three of us on this call, who is one creator you think everyone should be watching? You've had the best noise reaction to each yeah. uh, We should make a little soundboard. Do you remember when you used to get, like, you used to get your oh apps on your God. iPhone, yeah, little soundboard yeah. apps? Verily bitchy. So lots of like pop culture, media essays. Recently did a really great one called The Plastic Feminism of Barbie. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is a really interesting look at like the history of Mattel and the corporate Barbie feminism and, and then tying in obviously with the the movie that has just come out. Yeah, so I actually just recently subscribed to them, even though I've watched many of their videos that have, like, come up on Recommended or people have recommended. And I was like, do you know what? I've watched enough of her videos now to officially subscribe. So as a newly converted subscriber, verily bitchy. Ah. If you're into, like, pop culture and a lot of queer stuff, yeah. It's good. Fantastic. Cool. Okay, and then final question. What is one video you think everyone should watch? The first video that popped into my head is actually not a video that I think everyone should watch, but (laughs) it's still, I'm just going to share it anyway because it's an interesting video. There's this booktuber called Books and Lala, Books and, yeah, Books and Lala. And a couple of years ago, she did a video that was like, I've been experimenting with my thumbnails for the past year. And this video was like, there's an edited version of all the footage that she'd been filming over the past 12 months of all of these various thumbnail experiments that she'd been doing. The video is an hour long. Wow. (laughs) I've watched it twice. Oh my gosh. Wow. (laughs) So, and it's just, yeah, the thumbnails were on the brain and that was then the first video that came to my head. It's not, obviously not one that I think everyone should watch, but everyone who 
needs to watch it should watch it. It's just interesting. Yeah. Mm. Anyway. <laughs> that's a good recommendation. Cool. I like that as an answer. Though. Yeah. There that's you a good go. answer. Well, Mr. Clark. Doctor. Sorry, Dr. Clark. What did you make of that chat? Well, Ms. Ward. Uh, <laughs> I can't even say. Yeah, I am Ms. Ward. <laughs> You have the masters. I have the PhD. That's here. true, Miss um, Ward, MSc. Thank you very much. I took a lot away from the discussion. I always like talking to Hannah. I think the thing that really stuck with me was this discussion of Dunning Kruger, and how for a lot of science communicators, they have to overcome that initial hump of the Dunning Kruger distribution. What I thought was particularly interesting was, as I, as I said in the discussion, the fact that for a lot of YouTubers who were of a certain age, basically my and Hannah's age, when YouTube became a thing, that they were thought, oh, there's a gap in the market here. This is a, a, a format that people aren't talking about science in. I could do that. I can talk about science and be like these people that I watch on TV. And it's the people like Hannah and I that have done it for long enough that have, have gone over that hump and are now coming up the other side of like, I look back on the old videos I made and I guess cringe a little bit about like, look at that guy. He had hope. He thought that he knew about this stuff. He thought things were going to get better. And now I feel like I've kind of caught up to that same level of confidence, but with a bit more grounding in knowledge. And I wonder, is that something that happens with every medium? Do, have we seen that, for example, happen with TikTok now? Yeah, I wonder because I think, yeah, a lot of people initially on TikTok or initially on any platform, exactly, they're kind of swept up in it and you maybe aren't experts in what you're covering, but you're becoming experts in the platform. Yes. So that helps to mediate the Dunning-Kruger-iness because you're like, well, I'm an expert in the platform. So this thing I know a bit about, I can then put in a way that is useful through my other expertise. The act of doing this job is a form of education. Like I have learned a huge amount about different, in my, in my particular case, about the parts of the climate system, parts of the earth system, through making videos about different topics. And that has propelled me along that Dunning-Kruger graph in a way that I never expected when I started. I, well, I never thought I'd be doing this as my full-time job, I suppose. What about you? What did you take away from the, the discussion? I really liked Hannah's chat about how the broader the range of people you get involved with something with different expertise, the better your final product. If you get, you know, if you really sort of niche down the expertise of someone, like when she said that she got someone just to read and translate scientific papers for her, that is expertise. And I think that's something I need to take on board more is I'm not a lone ranger just making my videos in the desert by myself. I actually can benefit from getting other people's input. But there's tremendous value in being that generalist and being the person who assembles the team of of specialists because what you can do is bring to the table the communication aspect of mm. it and they can bring some of the research and some of the science aspect so that together you are it's greater than some of its parts yeah it's like if you've got all these rows of expertise it's really valuable to be the bridge so that people Absolutely. can you know cross the two well that's all for this episode next time we're talking to my name's Jordan Harrod. I make educational content around AI and society these days. How do we think about creating space for human beings as these systems evolve? How do we empower people to feel like they can take up space? How do we empower people to feel like they can exist in society in relation to these systems? But also more personally, like, how do I make content that feels like I am taking up space in a way that represents me faithfully? Thanks again to Hannah for joining us. You can check out her videos on youtube.com slash Hannah Witten. 
Thank you so much for listening to How to Make a Science Video, a Nebula podcast. The producer was Dr. Simon Clark. Our music and editing were provided by Fergus Hall and our artwork by Lizzie Fiakovsky. If you enjoyed this episode, I really hope you did. Please do recommend the podcast to your friends, family, and rate us on your podcast service of choice. <laughs>